Well, good morning. We are continuing through the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Turn there in your Bibles, please. So Romans chapter 14. And here in Romans chapter 14, everything's coming together. We're, we're closing out the book, the letter. And everything's coming together. All the points that the Apostle Paul has been making to the church at Rome throughout the preceding chapters are all coming together now in 14 and 15. And, and what we should do based on all of this teaching that Paul has been giving us, practical application of everything that we have learned throughout the book. You remember one of the overarching themes and threads running through Romans is that God's plan of salvation and mercy has always been for Israel and the nations. Israel and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Gentiles. God's plan of salvation is for everyone, not just for the Jews. And as we've learned in prior messages, that the Jews had been expelled from Rome for a time. The Emperor Claudius, around 49 AD, had an executive order <laughs> that they all be expelled for you know, various reasons. And so the church had been had consisted of Gentile believers only for quite a time. Then when Claudius died in AD 54, that edict was lifted, and the Jewish Christians came back to Rome. They made their way back into the congregations of Gentile believers there. And now these two different groups of Christians that had been separated for such a long time and, and had deep differences in their cultures, deep differences in their cultures, were now suddenly back together again and were really having a tough time adjusting to life in the church together. And so the Apostle Paul has been teaching, and you can basically look back all the way back to chapter 12. And even before that, he had been telling us about God's mercy. God's mercy is for the Jews. God's mercy is for the Gentile. God, the Gentiles. God has had mercy, great mercy on us. He has saved us by his mercy and his grace. He has chosen us in him for salvation, even before the foundations of the world, because of his great mercy. And then the Apostle Paul appeals to that mercy in chapter 12, the beginning of that, he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is your holy and acceptable spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll know what the will of God is. And then he goes on to teach us what it looks like to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And it's come to a conclusion here where in chapter 13 where he said, hey, love each other. It all comes back to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Owe no one anything but to love each other. Outdo each other in honor. Show humility and service and sacrifice and love toward each other. Love is the fulfillment of the law we've learned so we're to love each other <clears throat> and so that that involves a, a few things and we're going to see some of the effects of, of you know how these these groups not getting along together and what we can learn uh, 
in order to overcome that. In our, our text today, we're going to see some of the effects of the Jews being gone from the church. You know, Paul is emphasizing heavily, hey, love each other, outdo each other in honor and love and service. You see a few threads come through in, in the text today. One of arrogance, Jewish believers thinking that they were better than the Gentile believers because they kept the law. Intolerance, the Gentile believers despising Jewish believers, Jewish believers judging Gentile believers. And this is what's going on in the church. There's arrogance, there's intolerance, there's, there's pride, there's all this, this nasty disunity. One group thinking they're better than the other, the other group thinking they're better than that group. And we might say, well, you know, we don't have any Jewish people in the congregation today that we know of. How does this apply to us? But it does apply to us. It applies to our own hearts because we're human. We're sinners. And, and pride wells up within our own souls. And it's easy to think that, you know, our group, our little group here is better than this little group over here because we do X, Y, Z and they do A, B, C. And we're, you know, we're just different and we're better. And, you know, that pride can permeate our hearts. And it brings factions, it brings disunity and disharmony to the body of Christ. And so this message is for us today as well. Because in the early church, as it, as it does even today, the gospel brings different groups of people together who would otherwise never talk to each other. And the older I get, the more I see it. You know, whether for reasons of nationality or status or bank accounts or culture or whatever, you know, these people that used to stay apart from each other now come together in the body of Christ. <clears throat> and so throughout Romans, Paul has been dealing with these problems arising particularly from Jewish and Gentile differences. And he's emphasizing now what everyone shares. Since there's only one God, he is the God of both Jew and Gentile. There is one God who is God of all. Not segregated little pockets of different tribes and different ways of thinking, different cliques and whatever. There's one God, only one God who is God of all. And we see this theme throughout the letter. We see in chapter 1, verse 16, that salvation is for the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, the Jew first and also the Greek. We see in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that there's no partiality with God and that both Jew and Gentile will either suffer condemnation for unbelief or through faith will receive glory, honor, and peace. In chapter 3, verse 9, we see that both groups are under sin. And in chapter 3, verse 30, both are saved by grace through faith. In chapter 9, we see again that salvation is not limited to the Jews, but available to Gentiles by God's gracious choice. Chapter 10, we see there's no distinction between Jew and Greek concerning God's mercy toward those who call on him. We also see that God uses Gentile believers to provoke the unbelieving Jews to jealousy in order that some would be saved. And in chapter 12, we're all taught that we're members of one body in Christ. 
And so finally, as we wrap up this book in the next couple of chapters, this theme of Jew and Gentiles living together in harmony surfaces most clearly. And he's going to deal with some very practical aspects of how that works out. Now, the immediate context is this. If you look at the end of chapter 13, love our neighbor as ourselves. Cast off the works of darkness, chapter 13, verse 11. Put on the armor of light. Walk properly. Put off the lust of the flesh and put on Jesus Christ. And now he's going to teach us particularly how to do that. That's how we do this in the church. We're going to see several main points, three main points particularly, that we're going to work through over the next three weeks. First, we're to love and welcome each other in the faith, not to pass judgment on each other concerning our differing opinions. We're going to dig into that today, verses 1 through 12. Then next, we're going to see, hey, don't put a stumbling block or cause to fall in your brother's way. Don't, don't cause your brother or sister to trip and fall in their walk with God. Now, that, that's me. <laughs> don't do that. Right? Let's be nice to each other. I'm talking to my kids. I'm like, don't be mean. Be nice. It really boils down to that. And then strive for unity through humility for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. You see that in chapter 15, the first six verses. And so let's look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. I want to read that, and then we'll preach through it, line by line, verse by verse, as our habit here at Living Hope. Chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will, he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Let the one who observes the day observe it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself, to God. And so I want us to focus in on those last verses because they really set up everything of the main point of all. Brothers and sisters, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us, every one of us will bow to Jesus and give an account of ourselves directly to him. 
in light of that truth, don't despise and judge each other. That's what Paul's point is here. Let's not despise and judge each other. God will perfectly judge each one of us. So we don't need to be about that business. That's not our job. That's not our place to stick. That's not our business to stick our nose in. God's got that. That's what he's trying to teach us today. So often, you know, we, we want to be in a, up in other people's business. We want to, we want to be correcting them and, and judging them and, and helping them along. And, and God's like, I got that. I just let me handle that. God's going to do it perfectly and justly. We're going to mess it up. That's the main point of it all. We could stop right there and, and go eat lunch. <laughs> Right, but I'm going to dig into it further so it sinks in to our, our hearts and minds because this is not how we typically like to live and act. So let's look back up to verse 1. Verses 1 through 4. What does it say there? As for the one who is weak in faith, shun them, keep them out. You know, they're not, they're not good enough to hang, right? They need to get their act together before they can come and, you know, really be part of the church. No, it doesn't say that. Welcome him or her with open arms. Welcome them. Welcome them. I think it's funny, you know, I drive through neighborhoods today and I always see these, you know, welcome signs on people's porches. But I guarantee if I, if I knocked on their door, rang their bell, what, what do you want? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Right? I see it all around, but I read the next door and you know Facebook groups and so I'm like these people would probably yell at me if I went up on their front door. Like, oh, so and so's going around the neighborhood. Watch out! <laughs> you know, half of you got welcome signs right on your front porch. Do you really want to welcome people? Because like, we say we're going to welcome them, but then we push people out. And what we're reading here is, you know, for the one who is weak in faith, welcome them. Welcome them, but look, look, look what's next. But not to quarrel over opinions. So we don't welcome them for the purpose of, oh, I'm going to fix them. So often we want to do that. You know, welcome them in so we can fix them. <laughs> no, welcome them. And, and not to quarrel over opinions. Because look, you know, you can see in verse 2 through the rest of the verse, 2 and 4, you know, one person believes they can eat anything. Another person, the weak person, eats only vegetables. So, you know, you got some differences going on there. The one who eats shouldn't despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. God has welcomed him. Why can't we? It's on us. God, you know, God has taught us how to do this. He's taught us how to love and be kind and gracious and merciful. Jesus died on the cross for that one who is weak in faith. He died on the cross for the one who is strong in faith. He died on the cross for all of us. And so we ought to be welcoming and loving and kind and gracious. That's what we're learning today. So welcome them. Don't argue over your different opinions. It's okay for you to have different opinions. We all have different opinions, and that's okay. Don't pass judgment. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Verse 4. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
And so let's define some terms here so we know what we're really talking about. First of all, what does he mean by weak in the faith? What, what does that mean? Well, it does not mean this. It does not mean that they are necessarily new or immature Christians. You might think that. Like, oh, they must have just you know, become a believer recently if they still have all these, you know, these, these rules and convictions that they feel like they have to follow and they're trying to work their way to Christ and to salvation. You know, they just don't get the gospel and we start telling ourselves all these stories in our minds. So it doesn't mean because they're weak in the faith here that they're new or immature. <clears throat> Someone who disagrees with me and gets upset because he thinks I'm wrong. What it does mean is, is someone who, because of the weakness of their faith or knowledge or conscience in their will, it's someone who can be influenced to sin against his conscience by the example of a differing and stronger brother. That's what he's talking about here. If you read through the rest of 14 and into 15, that's who the weak in faith is. I'll say it again. It's someone who can be influenced to sin against his conscience. Not sin against the word of God, but sin against their conscience. Their conscience is telling them they shouldn't eat pork. Or their conscience is telling them they shouldn't uh, violate the Sabbath. Or their conscience is telling them these various things for whatever reason. And so the weaker brother is someone who can be influenced to violate that conscience by the example of a differing stronger brother <laughs> so some examples someone who doesn't eat meat or drink wine you see that in verse 21 further in the chapter they do this in a god-exalting way and they're not doing sinning by doing so they just simply have different convictions convictions that they hold strongly those are the ones that paul is actually saying you know they're they're weak in faith they're acting from faith, though. It says they don't, not saying they have no faith. They are acting from faith. It's just a weak faith. They don't believe that this activity or lack of it contributes to their justification. So sometimes we get that into our minds, thinking, oh, and, you know, they, they think that they're better than me or that, you know, they're going to they have a better standing with God than I do or or that that's going to help save them. That's not that's not true necessarily. They don't think that that, you know, abstaining from food or drink is going to save them. They just feel convicted about it. And look, we all have different convictions. You know, if I talk to each one of you, you have a list of things that you just feel strongly about. And your list is different than my list. It's different than, than Rob's list and Chris's list. It's, it's different for every one of us based on what God has led us to in our own walk. So in their hearts, these who are weak in faith believe that eating meat, drinking wine, and that's specific to this passage, will dishonor the Lord and their desire is to glorify and honor God. Don't miss that part. Everyone's on the level playing field here. We all have the desire to glorify and honor God. And so that's where we've got to give each other the benefit of the doubt. right? And we're not very good at doing that. And we need to be better at that. You know, when we see something we don't understand, when we see something that a brother or sister is doing and we not, might not necessarily agree with it, we might even strongly disagree with it. Our first response from our text today is not to 
uh, condemn or judge, our first response is, well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's show them some grace and let's show them some mercy and just acknowledge that, hey, you know, they, they just have different convictions than I than my family does. Let's, let's assume that their motive is pure, but maybe their decision is just wrong. It's a mistake. Maybe they just lack knowledge. But let's have that thinking about us. And then we'll also see here further in the text, you know, certain days matter. Keeping certain feasts and Sabbath days is also important to them. So that's the weak in the faith. Now, who are the strong in the faith? The strong in the faith, that's the stronger brother or sister, is a, is a believer who, because of their understanding of freedom in Christ and the strength of their own conviction, they exercise their liberty in good conscience without being improperly influenced by the differing opinions of others. The strong in faith is not a carnal person. The carnal person is all about indulging their flesh for gratification and pleasure. The carnal person is in no way seeking to honor the Lord with their eating or drinking or anything else. They're just basically living for the world. They just want to fill their belly and live for pleasure. That's the carnal person. Now, the person here who is strong in the faith is a person who understands their freedom in Christ. They understand their freedom in Christ and their conscience is clear. And they're doing everything that they're doing from a place of wanting to honor God and glorify God. And so the weaker should also look to the stronger and say, you know, how can they have a glass of wine? Oh my goodness, they're going to, they're going to, you know, just go to hell for that. <laughs> they should never do that. Well, they have different convictions than you. Their convictions are different. They're operating from a place of freedom. And they're not seeing that as sin. They're, everything that they're doing, what they're eating, they're drinking, the, the days that they observe, etc. their pattern of life in their heart of hearts is to honor and glorify God also. They just have different convictions than the weaker brother. So the weak and the strong are both thankful and they're striving for the glory of Christ. You know, we got to remember that and we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. The weak and the strong are both radically God-centered people. They differ only in what they think is proper, uh, proper in the non-essentials. And it's important to emphasize the non-essentials. So in our text, Jewish believers who believe you should eat only vegetables are identified as the weak in faith. Whereas the Gentile believers who thought it's fine to eat all things, and drink all things, were identified as the strong in faith. That's in verse 2. We'll discuss this more uh, in a moment. And they're both instructed to welcome each other with open arms and not argue over doubtful things. Some of your translations, some of your translations say opinions. Now, so what are these things? What are the opinions or the doubtful things? Well, these are elements of our faith upon which our personal salvation does not depend. Our salvation does not depend on these things. You could think of them as gray areas. Not black, it's not white. We tend to like to do that. We tend to like to have very rigid categories. And it's either 
you know, right or wrong, and there's no, you know, charity in between, there's no gray in between, it's, you know, there's no doubtful thing about it, it's either black or white, right or wrong. And there's a whole list of categories that these include in our text today, it's food and drink, special days, gifts of the spirit. I've seen people argue in the church over the gifts of the spirit and what you wear. Where your school, you a homeschooler, a public schooler, a private schooler, you know, we, we put ourselves in little categories that way. What kind of music do you listen to? Entertainment. I can't believe they'd watch those movies. Oh, that's evil. Evil. What's wrong with them? We say that all the time in our mind. What's wrong with them? How can they listen to that music? I hear some of that stuff, I'm like, what is that? And then I have to remind myself, okay, I was 16 once. I was, I was 13. Okay. I got five boys at home, man, all kinds of stuff. What is that? What's wrong with them? That's our first inclination. It's like, okay, these are gray areas. These are opinions. They're doubtful things. Sports, entertainment, TV, you know, the list goes on. And I'm glad we read the Apostles' Creed today. That's providential. I didn't ask Chris to do that, but it's right here in my message. I mean, the Apostles' Creed, that's a list of essential things. You know, we're going to have a discussion if you think we're not created by God the Father. Okay? We're, I can't let that one go. If you disagree with the virgin birth, okay, we're going to have a discussion about that. I'm not letting that one go. Right? That whole list of the Apostles' Creed, look through that list. That's the essential stuff. Believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ is only begotten Son, our Lord. You go through the whole list. That list matters. Those are the essentials. And we got to agree on those things. Uh, you know, you come here to Living Hope, you want to be a member of this church, but you know, you disagree on some of those things. I'm sorry. We're going to have to talk through that. You're not going to be a member here at Living Hope if we're not seeing eye to eye on those essentials those core doctrines of the faith matter and we must stand for them we must stand for them we don't need to be angry and hateful about it but we do need to stand for the truth always in meekness and love and boldness so our text today deals specifically with these two opinions and it's really two diet and days so we're going to focus in on that Diet and days. And let's learn and apply the teaching on how to handle these to our context in our church, in the church today. First of all, diet. So the Jews thought that one must keep a kosher diet consisting mainly or only of vegetables in order to keep the teachings concerning clean and unclean food from the law and their traditions. And this is deep rooted in their hearts and minds. Generation upon generation upon generation, this has been taught and practiced and taught and practiced. Even nominal Jews today, ones that don't go to synagogue or temple, they, they're, they're real into you know, what they should eat. And I work with some, and we'll go to the restaurant, and they're not ordering shellfish. They're not ordering pork. You know, they're not ordering these things. It's like, you don't go to temple. You don't go to synagogue. You know, what, what? It's just deep in their pattern of behavior. It has been handed down from generation to generation and generation. And so you can imagine these Jews show up back in the church in Rome and they're having pork barbecue and they're having, 
you know, seafood and all these things and clams and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, gross. Oh, my gosh. We aren't fellowshipping with you. That's nasty. Can't eat that. Right? So there's, there's arguing and fighting over that. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they don't have any laws like that. They considered themselves free to eat whatever seemed good to them. It's like, what's wrong with you guys? Have you ever had barbecue? Just have a bite. Oh, ain't nothing better. It's so good. You just got to try it. You're free from this, guys. In Christ, you're free. You can eat any of this you want. So who's right? And there's arguing back and forth. Who's right? Well, Jesus said that it's not what you put into your mouth that defiles you, but it's what comes out of your mouth from your heart that defiles you. So Jesus taught about it because the disciples were pretty strict with it too, right? Peter's like, forbid it, Lord. I will never eat anything that's unclean, ever. You know, I got to my record's clear, right? I got logs of everything I've eaten my whole life, Lord, and I've never had anything unclean. Let's just get that out, right? I'm good. Jesus is like, Peter, it doesn't matter. What you put in here doesn't defile you. It's what comes out of here that defiles us. In the book of Acts, God gives the apostle Peter a vision of what is okay to eat. He sees a vision where all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air were before him. And in Acts chapter 10, the vision he hears, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, no, Lord, no, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So he's still on this, even in the book of Acts. And a voice spoke to him again the second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Interesting with Peter, how things happen three times. Yeah. Before the cock crows three times, he'll deny it. When he sees Jesus again, you know, after his resurrection, he's like, Peter, do you love him? Three times. And Peter's like, oh, Jesus, you know that I love him. And here again, three times. It's like some, God takes Peter at least three times to get something. With me, it would be 10 or 20 or 300. Like, did you say that again, Lord? So yeah, three times. So the Bible makes it clear that there's no sin in what we eat. Yet, many of the Jewish believers, they didn't understand this. And they're convinced in their hearts that if they ate these things, they would be sinning against God. It would deeply violate their conscience. Then in verse 3, we're taught, hey, you who eat, don't despise those who don't. And that's what we typically do. I'm like, ah, those guys, they just, ah. We get frustrated. We despise them. We think of them as second class. You know, they just, they don't get it. So verse 3 is telling us, hey, you who eat, don't despise those who don't. And hey, you, you who don't eat. Don't judge those who do, because that's what happens on the flip side. You know, they're like, they're unclean. They're, they're, they're eating all that bad food. They're just sending it up, right? Just having a big sin party over there, all that stuff, right? Maybe I'll have some of the coleslaw, but I ain't having that barbecue, right? And so they judge. They're like, I'm better than you, because I do these things, and God sees me as better. And then pride wells up. So you who don't eat, 
don't judge those who do. Don't think of them as sinners because they don't live by your convictions. And that applies to us today. Let's not look at others as sinners because they don't live by our convictions. And, and I hear that even from the pulpit sometimes. You know, if you're watching this type of entertainment, you know, you're in sin. I've even heard people say, you know, if your kids watch Veggie Tales, they're sinning. Because Veggie Tales isn't a perfectly exact representation of what actually comes out of God's word. I'm like, man, my kids watch Veggie Tales all the time. I'm sinning? How can you say that? Right? I love Bob and Larry. Right? So we clearly have different opinions on what's appropriate for our children. Yet that preacher who loves God and who is sincerely trying to fix me, he's, he's got it wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> Now, am I going to hate him? No, I don't want to hate him. Right? I just have to acknowledge that. He sees things differently than me. I hope he can show me some charity, some grace. And I'll do my best. I'm going to show them grace and charity. I'm not going to call them out as sinners because they're legalists. Right? That's what we do, though, right? That's what we do. And I'm stepping on a lot of toes, even my own, as I prepared this message. God, we need to hear this. I need to hear this. Let's, let's just be honest with ourselves. This is what we do. <clears throat> so let's show some charity and grace with each other. So that's in the, the category of diet. Then he talks about days, verses 5 and 6. Because again, with the Jews, their days are very important to them. One person esteems one day better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So again, there were Jews who were weaker in the faith, and they're convinced that they were in sin if they didn't keep the ceremonial and Sabbath days prescribed in the Torah. And I see this also, you know, you'll see this as we get into the feast day seasons of the year, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, uh, you know, uh, Passover, and they're on the calendars. And you know, I've got Jewish friends that I work with, you know, they're taking those days off work. Some, they don't even go to synagogue most of the time or, or temple, they're just doing it. Because it's what they know and it's deep it's deep in their hearts like they would feel like they're sinning if they didn't do that so they're sincerely trying to honor god in doing it and it would be easy for me to throw stones right and say well you don't even go to synagogue you don't even care you don't even blah 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 right? why do you do that you're wasting your time blah 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 that's not how god wants us to be he wants us to show love and kindness so again, there's this difference over the days. I'm sure in the early church, you know, the Jews were saying, well, we must keep the Sabbath. We need to keep Passover. We need to keep Yom Kippur, Pentecost, and all the feasts, all of which, by the way, point to Jesus Christ. That was their purpose. They were shadows pointing to what he was going to accomplish. And he fulfilled all of them. And so the feasts, the feast days have been fulfilled in Jesus. So the Jews still want to observe these. The Gentiles are like, we're free. We don't have to do that stuff. 
we're free. So let's not judge each other over, you know, we're keeping the days and you're not. And if you were, you know, good proselytes of, uh, of, of the Jewish culture and the, the Old Testament and following true Messiah, you know, you'd be keeping these days. And they're like, well, we're free in Jesus. We don't have to keep the, the days. They all pointed to Jesus. They're fulfilled now. And on and on and on it goes, you know, butting heads, having arguments, having fights over. The Apostle Paul clarifies this in Colossians 2. He says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. They're all a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So we see clearly from the Bible that there's no sin in not observing the feast days and the Sabbath days. We're not sinning because, you know, we don't gather together on Yom Kippur. It's in the Old Testament. It's a perpetual statute. It says that, right? But we learn from the New Testament, you know, we're free from observing those things. We're free in Christ. He's fulfilled them all. Yet the Jewish people were convinced in their hearts that if they didn't keep these days, they would be sinning against God. In the same way, Gentile believers, they think that we're honoring God by not keeping them. So again, he's telling us, hey, let's not despise each other because we disagree on these things. Let's not judge each other because we disagree on these things. Let's have love and harmony instead. Verses 7 through 9. The main point of verses 7 through 9 is we all live to the Lord. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived and lived again. That he might be the Lord of both the dead and of the living. And so, brothers and sisters, we have to remember, we don't live for ourselves. We don't live for ourselves. Our purpose in this world, in our life, I'm going to give you a great truth right here, right now. So many people wander about this world looking for their purpose. Read book upon book upon book. What is my purpose? They go out and meditate in the woods. Oh, universe, what is my purpose? Right? We're constantly in search of purpose as a human being. And the older you get, the more you will search for that. You know, when you're young, you're just kind of like, hey, well, what are we doing today? What, what, are we have pizza or hamburgers for dinner? <laughs> you know. But as we grow older, you know, if you don't understand what your purpose is, you really want to know that. And our purpose is this. Our purpose is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy him forever. And there is great joy in living to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. And so our, our lives should line up with that purpose in all things. Every choice we make throughout the day, every life decision on our path of life that we choose should align with that purpose. Is what I'm about to do going to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in some way? Or is it going to mar the image of Christ? In my life and in the world. You know, and if you're answering it the second way, then don't do that. 
But as we as we walk this road of life, we need to be asking that question in the, in the way that we live. Because our purpose is to glorify Christ. We do not live for ourselves. I want to emphasize that again. What are the two great commandments of the Lord? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourselves. We do not live for ourselves. And, and the deeper we understand that, the easier it is to, to live this way and to not judge our brother or sister, to not condemn. When we understand that, oh, I don't live for myself, I live to serve and to love, then our first inclination turns from how do I criticize and judge to how do I help and love and serve with joy. It turns everything. Even when you know, life impacts us in a way that hurts us to the core of our soul. You know, whether a relationship is broken or, you know, something you know, between another person or something doesn't happen in your life the way you, you think it should or someone's persecuting you. Look at the church throughout the world, how it's being persecuted. How can those people in Pakistan who are being stoned to death cry out and say, Lord, forgive my persecutors? Because they understand they don't live for themselves. They understand this deeply. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. They're living for the Lord. They're living for others. Not themselves. And Jesus modeled this for us. And whenever we struggle and we say, Lord, I, I can't do this. It's too hard. Show me how. He did. He modeled it for us. Jesus didn't come to live for himself. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Look what Jesus did. He hung. He, he didn't even have a home. He was homeless. We worship a homeless savior. <laughs> you ever think about that? He didn't even have a home. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, the son of man has no place to live. He's homeless. He wandered about serving, loving, washing gnarly, nasty disciples' feet, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He was persecuted, abandoned. He humbled himself. King of the universe, king of glory, Jesus Christ. He modeled this for us. If anyone deserved to be served is the Lord of glory, Jesus. Yet he's the one taking his towel and, and washing his disciples' feet, modeling it for us. This is how we love. This is how we serve. And ultimately, laying down his life for you and for me, giving up his life. Remember, he said, I could call 10 legions of angels to come and take these guys out. Put your sword away. Hey, it ain't about that right now. Put the sword away. You know, don't you think I can handle this? I raised the dead, guys. Come on. I can bring legions of angels here to take care of this. Now it's time for me to die, is what he was telling me. And I will die. And he died for you and for me. He modeled this for us. And so we ought to model it as well. And let's be careful to remember <clears throat> who we are and whose we are. 
We are children of God. We are his servants. We are his. We belong to Christ. And this goes back to verse 4. Now, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Paul really calls us out here. Like, listen up. Who do you think you are? It's striking. It cuts to the heart. So, you know, when we feel like we're, we need to judge or when we feel like we need to criticize, you know, even in our own families, you know, brothers and sisters, how often y'all like not get along because, you know, someone's doing something you don't understand or don't like. And it's like, well, he, he's driving me crazy or she's annoying and blah, 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 blah. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Who do you think you are? We all do annoying stuff. We all do in our own different way. So don't pass judgment on another. Don't despise another. God will make them stand. God is their master and their Lord, not you. We're not the master. We're not Lord. Jesus is. And we just got to let it go. Yep, we disagree. I don't understand why they do what they do. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume they love Jesus and they do what they do because they want to honor God. And God, who is the perfect master and Lord and judge, he'll handle it. He'll take care of it. All of us who believe in Jesus as the risen Lord should be able to eat together despite our cultural, ethnic, and other differences. Let's focus in on what we have in common, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, two of my best friends, one's from Singapore, the other's from Nigeria. How in the world did we come together? Jesus Christ. They're both Pentecostal, you know, when I first met them, they're speaking in tongues and all this stuff. I'm like, Jesus, what is this? <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. But somehow, some way, Jesus keeps us together, right? Despite all of our differences. How can a Southern Baptist hang with two Pentecostals from Singapore and Nigeria, speaking in tongues and all these different things I'm not used to? And then my friend from Singapore, man, he eats all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, octop like octopus stuff, legs and chicken feed, and, you know, all this weirdness. I'm like, wow. He's like, oh, you got to try this as the brain of the whatever. I'm like, I ain't trying that, man. <laughs> nasty. Now, any one of us could say, yeah, I'm done with that. You know, we're not hanging. But Jesus keeps us together, right? Those are extreme examples, but I've experienced that in my own life. So every one of us who believes the gospel of Jesus, Jesus is the risen Messiah and Lord. We belong to the same family. Those are my brothers, as different as they are, and they are different. Now, I'm dry white toast from North South Carolina. We are different as different can be, but we love each other deeply in Jesus. So, for each one of us, let us love each other in our church family and in our own family, too. Right? It starts in our home, right, in the living like if you can't love your brother and sister in your own living room, you, you can't do this with others. Like, don't be nicer to your strangers and friends and acquaintances than you are to your own family. Man, we're, we're prone to do that, too. Let's not act that way. 
let's show the same love we get from the strangers out there in the world and acquaintances in our own family. So let's start right here in our families. Let's love each other. Welcome each other with open arms as brothers and sisters who have different opinions. Let's not judge and, and condemn. And know that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us will bow to Jesus and give an, give, give an account of ourselves to him directly. So, guys, we don't have to be worried about it. It's not our job. Let it go. Leave it to Jesus. He's going to take care of it. He will perfectly judge. We don't need to be stressed out over it. We're free. We are free to love and to welcome and fellowship despite our differences. Because the Lord says, as surely as I live, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare praise to God.